Anybody else starting to get the feeling they're never going to get rid of that tube TV? <laughs> good morning, Kingsway. It is uh, good to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm starting to enjoy that familiar look that I get when I walk up here, which starts out something like, that's not Matt. And then slowly transitions into something a little happier that's like, well, if Todd's preaching, that must mean I got Monday off. <laughs> Happy Labor Day weekend. I hope that you guys get some time to spend with your families. I'm joking. I love Matt. I love giving him a little break every now and then. And I love getting to come up and, and talk with all of you guys. And I love that the topic is money. <clears throat> Probably almost as much as you love that the topic is money. Well, when we're talking about money, I feel like it's, there are a lot of places we could start. I feel like it's important that we start where all of us really start with money, monopoly. <laughs> so uh, what a better way to teach our kids about the value of a dollar than to play a game where the goal is to spend all of your money as quick as you can, to buy up everything that you possibly can, and then to pray that you don't end up owing more money than you actually have left. It's, but it's fine, though. It's fine because kids never make it through a game because it is immoral how long it takes to play a full game of Monopoly. <laughs> I was playing Monopoly with my, with my wife and with her family. That's what we like to do. You know, tell me how cool we are. Um, we were playing a game of Monopoly, and uh, her, so she, she was losing something awful. It was bad. Um, but her dad, he was actually in pretty good position. But my wife had a property that he needed if he was going to have a chance to win the game. And so he's going back and forth. He's trying to get her to make a trade with him throughout the game, and she's not biting because things already aren't going well for her. And finally, he just looks at her and he says, Ashley, what is it going to take for you to trade that property? And her response, I'm never going to forget it because I almost fell out of my chair. Her response was this, give me all your money. No set dollar amount, no like plan or organization, no like banter, just give me all your money. Because my wife has a good understanding of the laws of supply and demand, which basically go, I don't care if I bought it for $150, I will not be taking a dime less than $5,000. <laughs> one of the things, this is a little secret that maybe you can do or don't know, one of the things that keeps preachers from sleeping at night when we know we're going to get up and talk about money the next day or whenever we're going into a series like this is that we're going to get up here and all you're going to hear us say is give me all your money <laughs> or maybe even maybe even worse we're going to get up here and we're going to talk about the bible and we're going to talk about a healthy biblical look at what god says about money and you're going to hear us getting up here and say god is commanding you to give me all your money. <laughs> because I'm not up here in front of you all of the time, I just, I needed to start out with you guys knowing my heart in this. You could never give a dime to the work that God is doing in ministries around the world, that God is doing through ministries at Kingsway. You could never give a dime, and I wouldn't lose a wink of sleep about the money. But I'd be pretty miserable because we would have failed your hearts. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about money, and one of the most telling passages comes out of the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 34, where Jesus says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. If you wanna know what's really important to somebody, 
follow the money trail. Doesn't matter how important they say it is to them. Doesn't matter how important they even think it is to them. If their money isn't pointing there, then it's probably just words. And we all deal with money a lot. A lot of, I mean, money coming in, money going out. That's just kind of the theme of, of a lot of our lives. And we ask ourselves questions like, you know, what do, I, what do I do to make money? What am I willing to give up to make more money? What do I do to save money? And, and what do I need to, to give up to save more money? What do I do to spend money? And what do I give up or what do I need to give up to spend more money? Because money isn't really about money. It's about what we value. If, if we value life, which I assume most of us do, if we value life, we're going to spend our money on, on food and on shelter. We value comfort, so we spend our money on sugary food and fancy shelter. If, if you value education, you're going to spend your money on college tuition and continuing education courses. If you value entertainment, you're going to spend your money on Netflix subscriptions and Colts tickets. If you value God and other people knowing about him, you're, you're going to spend your money for the church and for the ministries that God is doing around the world. What I need you guys to hear is that Jesus, he's not after your money. He's after your heart. As Jesus doesn't need your money. God literally created gold and silver and diamonds. You don't go begging when you've got the market cornered on the manufacturing process. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. That's why in this series, I want you guys to know that this is not about guilt. We're not in here to make anybody feel guilty. We're not in here to make anybody feel bad. If you feel convicted, if God convicts you on something, that's a good thing, but that's different than guilt. We're not here to make you feel guilty. Some of you, some of you have never even heard teaching about money. You never knew that there was any kind of tie between your money and your heart and your relationship with God, and we just wanna teach you what God says. For some of you, it is something you know, it is something you heard, but it's been a while, and you know what? Times got tough. You know, life got hard. I lost a job, hours got cut back at work, I had a source of income go away. And whatever convictions I used to have when it came to God and my money, well, I don't have those convictions anymore. We just wanna teach, we just wanna remind, we just wanna help all of us have a healthier understanding of, of what God says about money. So, one of the foundational questions kind of hanging over this series is, is this. In light of God's word, just what should I think about money? How should we be thinking about money? There's, again, there's no denying, money plays a big part in all of our lives. The money coming in, the money going out, you know, making money and spending money, budgeting money. If you don't know what a budget is, it's where you try not to spend more money than you actually make. Um, and you should consider taking Financial Peace University. It starts next week. Um, saving money. If you don't know what saving money is, it's stop listening to me right now and go sign up for Financial Peace University. You'll be better off, I'm sure. Most of us would probably say that we would like to make more money. You know, more, more money means that we can chase our goals. It means we can meet more of our needs. Uh, making more money would create opportunities for us and our families. You know, chances to travel, better education for our kids. If I made more money, I could even be more generous than I'm able to be right now. Most of us would say, we wish that we, we could save more money. 
If we could save more money, that means that we've got security. That means that we're ready for whatever unexpected comes up. You know, if I could could save more money, then I I don't have to be as worried about making ends meet next month. You know, if I could save more money, maybe that means I'm, I'm finally out from under some debt that I've just been paying on forever. Most of us would say that we would like to spend more money, or at least have more money to spend. More money to spend means that I can have the latest and greatest, you know, phone or TV or entertainment system or whatever it may be. Having more money to spend means I can have those kitchen countertops that I saw in my neighbor's house. You know, having, having more money means that, you know, I can, I can go on those trips. More, more money means that I could finally get a date night with my wife that's fancier than Arby's. No offense to Arby's. Here's the thing. It isn't ungodly to make money, sometimes. And it isn't ungodly to save money, sometimes. And it isn't ungodly to spend money, sometimes. We're going to get into those sometimes a little later in the message, but what you guys need to know is that those sometimes have a lot less to do with how much money you have And they've got everything to do with your heart. So, um, to kind of put a bow on that, this series, it's it's about money being either a God or a gift in our lives. That's the name of the book that we hope all of you have gotten a copy of and are are reading along with us. If not, we've still got, I assume, some physical copies available as, as well as digital downloads. We're asking kind of one per family on those. Money's either going to be a God or a gift. It's going to be a gift that God has given you to meet your needs and to help glorify his name and to be generous and to see his name proclaimed in the world or it's going to be something that controls us or it's going to be something that gives us fear and anxiety and something that keeps us up at night and something that rules over us in a way that only God should. Matt talked about that last week. You should, you should listen to the first message in the series. Go to our website. Go to our church app. You can get caught up. Matt talked about that really well. To paraphrase Pastor John Piper, he said it like this. He said, Jesus and the authors of the New Testament, they viewed money as both a help and as a hazard. And so whenever we're studying the Bible, looking to see what the Bible says about money, we're looking to figure out ways to maximize the help and minimize the hazard. So if you've got a Bible, I need you to open up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be in verse 13. That's where we're, where we're starting out this morning. And uh, in Luke chapter 12, we find Jesus. He's talking to a, a large crowd. And if you've got headings in your Bible like mine, you'll see that we are about to read the parable of the... Oh, that can't be good. The parable of the rich fool. If you don't know, parables were a way that Jesus used to just avoid using our actual names whenever he was talking about us. Um, Jesus was here and he was talking in front of a large crowd and apparently some guy thought it was time for general Q&A because it starts out like this in verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. It's not exactly what Jesus had been talking about. Uh, But honestly, it's not an instinct that we're necessarily unfamiliar with. We want to bring our problems to Jesus. We want to be able to lay him at his feet. And 
and this is, so I, I speak with students for the most part, and this is one of the things that's difficult about helping students kind of read and understand the Bible is that it doesn't have an answer to every direct question that you would ask. And as, as adults, we wrestle with this too, but it's hard to kind of help students along with this because you know, it would be so much easier if somebody in the crowd had just said, hey, Jesus, what do I do about the kid with the locker next to mine and won't take a shower? Jesus, how am I supposed to, get, to, to be a starter on my sports team and get an A in chemistry? Now, why didn't, why didn't anybody yell that out in the crowd? Well, they didn't. But this one here is kind of relevant for a lot of adults in the room. Teacher, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I'd hate to even ask how many people have experienced minor to major discord in their family after the death of a loved one. And it would have been so much easier. I mean, we, we see this uh, family's getting ripped apart. If Jesus had just said, okay, well, you know what? Whenever, some, whenever there's death in the family, you know what? Split everything up this way and make sure you sell off this stuff. And for goodness sake, just let Aunt Sally have Grandma's lamp and be done with it. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that because he knows that a question like this, not that it's not an important question, but it's a question at the surface. And it speaks to something that's happening that's going on deeper. And those deeper issues, Jesus addresses in abundance. Look here in verse 14. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Ah, our man's deeper issue. Yes, he wanted Jesus to speak some wisdom into this inheritance dispute he was having with his brother. But if you went down under the surface, you see that, well, this is really about this guy and his insecurities. This is about something that he wanted to own or something that he was worried about not owning or his worry that his brother would own more than he owned. Anybody relate to any of those feelings? Feelings of anxiety about what we don't have or what we wish we had or what someone else has that we really want or thinking about some number that it's like, if I could just get my life up to having this amount of money or making this amount of money, then my life will, will have happiness. And Jesus says, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Can we all just repeat that out loud a few times? Life is not measured by how much you own. Now turn and look at the person next to you and tell it to them. Life is not measured by how much you own. We could probably have that recorded and played back to us every hour on the hour for the rest of our lives and still have a hard time believing it. Because this is so not what our culture tells us. You know what our culture tells us? Life is measured by how much you own. <laughs> the, the, you want to know if you've, if you've met the American dream? Well, just pile up all your stuff and measure how much you own. This is not what our society says. It's the opposite. It's the complete opposite. It says you want to know if you're getting there. You want to know if you're, if you're where you need to be. You need to have more. You need to have bigger houses. You need to have newer smartphones. You need to have nicer cars. 
So we try to make more money so that we can have more stuff. We try to save our money so that we can sit back and, and kick our feet up when we hit a certain age and enjoy all of our stuff. We spend more money, sometimes money that we don't have, but that the credit card companies would be happy to loan you with a little bit of interest on stuff. And this guy, I, I just, I imagine Jesus there and I just imagine him shaking his head. This guy, he gets this chance, this chance to ask a question from the master teacher. And he asks him, how can I get more stuff? I just imagine Jesus going, life is not measured by how much you own. All right, Jesus, well, if life isn't measured by how much we own, then what is life measured by? And Jesus launches into this parable, verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And those are the words of the master teacher. Life is not measured by how much you own, but by your relationship with God. You can live your life to get more and save more and spend more, and if you neglect your relationship with God, Jesus says that you are a fool. I mean, seriously, you could make a huge amount of money. You could be at the top of your industry. You could have a giant portfolio. You could have a bank account that'll last you for years. You could, I mean, you could have money saved. You could retire before you're 50, you know, get a beach house in Florida, learn to play shuffleboard. God says, if you have all of that, or like most of us, if you have a fraction of that, but that's just what you're working towards, where your heart is, and you didn't foster your relationship with me, you're a fool. Because you're measuring your life based on what you own. You're measuring your life based on earthly wealth. And when you get to the end of your life, which last time I checked, death rate hovering around 100%, gonna happen for all of us. When you get to the end of your life, you're gonna pile up all your stuff. You're gonna say, look at everything I've accumulated. And God's going to say, great, where was your relationship with me? Why, why didn't you spend any time fostering that? Our society is measuring with the wrong stick. They're measuring with a foolish measurement device. We're surrounded by people who are doing it. And if we aren't careful, we too can fall into that foolish trap and some of us some of us already have 
There are a couple of things um, that I think we need to be clear about that, uh, that Jesus is saying about this guy in this parable because I don't want us walking out of here with the wrong idea of what it was that made this guy a fool. First, this man was not a fool for being a productive farmer. It says that he had a fertile farm, that he produced fine crops. And it doesn't matter how fertile a farm is, if you don't have a hardworking farmer, you're not gonna produce diddly squat. It's not, uh, it, it wasn't, uh, this guy wasn't a fool because he worked hard, because he made a good crop, because he made a good living. Work is a good thing. Sometimes we kind of get it in our heads that work is a result of sin or that work is a result of the fall, and that's just not true. As Adam was put to work in the garden at the very beginning, before there was sin, we're gonna have work to do in heaven, in the, in the next life to come, we're gonna have work to do. Sin, the fall, the result of that is that work works against us and that's gonna go away. But work itself is a good thing. Work is a godly thing. And a byproduct of work oftentimes is money. Not all work, not even some of the hardest work, if I can get an amen from the child raisers and homemakers in the room. But a lot of our work, for a lot of our work, the byproduct is money. And so working hard and making good money, that didn't make this guy a fool, and it's not a bad thing. It's not inherently wrong for us to work hard and to make money. Second thing is this. This man was not a fool because he had a desire to save. It's not wrong to plan prudently for the future. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. That's a weird translation. (laughs) Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, a little more Xbox in my parents' basement. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. And scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The message of the proverb is to work hard and to plan ahead. Or before you know it, you'll have nothing. I don't want us to get this confused with the message of last week, which is that saving can very quickly become about trust. It can very quickly become a worry issue, a fear issue. Uh, I'm trying to God-proof my life by having everything that I need for myself kind of issue, and that's wrong. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. I'll get there, but I want you guys to know that planning prudently, that the farmer wasn't just inherently a fool for wanting to save some of what he made. Here's where the farmer goes wrong. He had barns, He was already saving, but he looks and he sees this great crop that he produced and he says, how about I just build bigger barns so that I can save up just so much stuff and then you know what? I'm never gonna have to work again. Then I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna drink and I'm gonna party and you know, I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna chill out. I mean, this guy had it made. It's like he'd, he'd sold his little startup company for a couple million dollars. I mean, this guy had the bank account to prove, I mean, this guy was looking good. And God tells him, well, you know what? Actually, your lifespan is going to be up right around tonight. What do you have to show for it? I mean, I, I imagine it went something like, you, so you were already saving. 
you are, wasn't I already meeting your needs? Didn't you already have enough? Why did you need to sit back and, and do nothing? Couldn't you have taken some of that extra and been generous with it? Couldn't you have taken some of that extra and, and glorified my name and had other people glorify my name because of how generous you were? Couldn't you have continued working and continued having more than enough so that more people could, could have their needs met? Couldn't you have done anything to show that you cared about your relationship with me? No, he, he, he saved all of his stuff and, and he's thinking he's gonna sit back and that's the, he doesn't even get to enjoy it. I mean, he thinks he's gonna have, you know, years to just, to just party and chill out. You know, we are not promised 20 years of retirement. We aren't promised tomorrow. We're not promised we're gonna make it to lunch today. And God says, why didn't you foster our relationship? Why were you all about accumulating more stuff and not worried about something that was going to matter for eternity? Jesus wants our hearts because he wants to spend eternity with you. Jesus wants to spend eternity with you so much that even when we were sinning, even when we were going against God, even when we were trying to live our lives our own way, not caring what God had to say, even then, Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. That's how bad he wants to spend eternity with you. And Jesus knows that one of the things in this life that can pull our eyes away from eternity, that can pull our eyes away from our Savior so quickly is money. He knows that it's one of those things that can very easily get us focusing in on the here and on the now and not on eternity and everything that is gonna matter forever, the relationship that's gonna matter forever because we're so consumed with accumulating our pile of stuff. We look at the Bible and we read about what it says about money and, and, and how the Bible instructs us about money and one of the things that we just, we need to understand is that God isn't mean, God isn't trying to make us poor, God doesn't want our lives to be miserable. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to protect us from a foolish society that we live in that is measuring with the wrong stick. He's trying to protect us from ourselves who it's so easy to get our eyes taken off of what really matters and to get focused on what the world thinks about money. So, we might say, well look, I'm at church on Labor Day weekend. I'm not like this farmer. God is important to me. God is important to me. Well, there's an easy way for us to tell. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's something that we can see. To stick with what Jesus said, if life is not measured by what you own, that's something we can measure. And I don't want anybody getting the wrong idea. We are not saved by our, our, by our, you know, how much stuff we give to God. We are not saved by how much money we give to God. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in the blood of Jesus. That is what saves us. There's no check big enough you can write that gets you into heaven. 
but your money is either going to point towards your salvation, it's going to point towards your relationship with God, or it's gonna point away from it. And that's what Jesus was trying to help us understand, that it is not an ungodly thing to make money. Sometimes. And it is not an ungodly thing to save money. Sometimes. And it's not an ungodly thing to spend money. Sometimes. I, uh, I, I read about a, a Bible college professor. He was t- teaching a grad course and he, he talked to his, his students and this was the very first day of class he had this conversation with his students. He said, he said this, he said, for some of you, it would be a sin not to get an A in this class this semester. But for some of you, it would be a sin to get an A in this class this semester. I work with your kids. For some of them, it would be a miracle to get an A in any class any semester. (laughs) That was mean. I'm sorry. I mostly don't mean it. (laughs) Here was his point. What he was saying is that for some of you, not getting an A in this class means that you didn't apply yourself, you didn't work hard, you didn't try to turn the assignments in or turn the assignments in on time, and basically you did not honor God with your work ethic. And so for you not to get an A would be a sin. But to the others, what he was saying is, this is grad school. Some of you already have families. Some of you are already ministering in churches somewhere. And there are gonna be times where something comes up with your family and your family has to be more important than this class. There are gonna be times that something comes up in your ministry and your ministry has to be more important than this class. And if you put getting an A in this class above your family or above your ministry, then getting an A for you was wrong. So I say again, it isn't ungodly to make money sometimes. Because you see, for some of you, it would be ungodly to not make more money. For some of you, it would mean that you didn't go out there and work hard. You didn't go out there and apply yourself. You didn't use the gifts that God had given you. And for others, it would be ungodly to make more money because it means that you went out there and you were taking time away from things that were supposed to be more important. You were more focused on the things of this world than on the things of God. If you work hard at your job, if you utilize your education, if you create and you innovate, if you, uh, if you are recognized for your hard work, if you get promoted, if you make money, that's good. That's a good thing. But if you just work more to keep the dollars rolling in, if you work harder and sacrifice your personal time with God for work, if you sacrifice the time that you could be spending with your family that God has called you to love, if you sacrifice your time serving the church that God loves, if you never take any time to be like Jesus to your coworkers or to your neighbors or to the other parents on your kid's soccer team, then the way that you make money is ungodly. So we have to do some personal evaluation. Are my motives for making money those that would honor God? Is there good balance in my life between the way that I make money and, and you know, the, the time that I spend with my, with my personal devotion to God? 
You know, is there a good balance between the, me making money and, and the time that I spend with my family? Because you're gonna have to put down at least 11 hours to play Monopoly with your kids. <laughs> is, the, is the way that I make money, is it a good balance with my volunteering and my serving? Or are my motivations for making money just the same as the world's? Are my motivations for making money just to, to, to keep myself at a certain financial level or to get myself to that next financial level or so I can have a certain amount of money that I think will bring me happiness, that I think will bring me prestige? Remembering that life is not measured by how much we own, we need to make money in a way that will grow our relationship with God. We make money in a way that will grow our relationship with God. And it isn't ungodly to save money. Sometimes. If you are planning for future needs, not just your own future needs, but planning to be able to meet the future needs of others, you know, if you're, if you're planning ahead so that you can help your kids with their education, you know, get them started off on the right foot. I can't tell you what a blessing that's been in my life for my parents. If you're, planning, if you're planning prudently, saving prudently for the future, that's fantastic. But if you're hoarding money, if you're saving everything you have, if your saving is keeping you from being generous, if you're saving money out of fear, if you're saving out of money out of worry, if you're saving money because you're trying to God-proof your life, if you're saving money so that you can retire before you're 50 and be able to just take your hands off the wheel and kick your feet up and learn to play shuffleboard. Your savings ungodly. So we have to do some personal evaluation. <laughs> am I saving for needs? Am I, am I saving to meet the needs of others? Am I saving to be generous? Am I saving to pass on a legacy to my kids? Am I saving so that, yes, when I get to that time where I can no longer be in the workforce, I then have funds so that I can use my time well? Or am I saving because I'm scared? Am I saving more than I need because I'm hoarding everything I have? Am I saving so that one day I can sit back and live the easy life where there are people out there with physical and spiritual needs who are suffering and those needs are being unmet? Remembering that our life is not measured by how much we own. We need to save our money in a way that will grow our relationship with God. It isn't ungodly to spend money Sometimes, spending money so that your family's needs are met, that's exactly why God gives us money. We live in a society where money is kind of a necessity, and God promises that he's gonna meet our needs. Matt talked about that last week. Sometimes meeting your needs means that we've got enough money or we've got enough in our wallet or in our purse to go to the grocery store and get food for our families. It's not a bad thing to spend that money. And it's not even always a bad thing to spend money on your wants. And here's where the church kind of messes this up, where some people who, who call themselves followers of Jesus, where we mess this up, go into one of two different extremes. Either we go all the way over here where we say, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. God wants you to have money. He wants you to have everything that you could ever possibly dream of having in this life. He wants you to have health. He wants you to have money. He wants you to have the prettiest smile ever to grace the cover of a self-help book. 
It's called prosperity theology and it's false. God did not send his son. Jesus did not die on a cross for us so that we would have health and wealth. Sometimes we're gonna live our life without some of the comforts, without some of the extravagancies that other people seem to have in their lives because we choose to honor God with our money. But then there have been Christians who have taken it all the way to the other extreme and they said, you can't have anything extra. If you've got any luxuries, if you've got anything in your life that you could sell, sell it off, get rid of it all, live in a tent, just get rid of everything that you might have extra in your life because only then are you really following God. It's called poverty theology and it's also false. Guys, God isn't gonna give us all of the blessings that we have been promised in this life, but he does choose to bless us at times in this life, frequently so that we can be a blessing to others. I was sitting in a conference one time and and Dave Ramsey very poignantly reminded our audience that it's like, well, you know what, poor people, people who don't have anything, they aren't doing a whole lot for starving kids in Africa. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And as long as we get our priorities right in the way that we spend, spending doesn't have to be ungodly. It's not ungodly to give your family good experiences, to to take them on a trip. It's not ungodly to to create community and and to, to, to buy that TV so that you can fellowship with the guys in your neighborhood on Sunday afternoons and Monday nights and Thursday nights and Saturday afternoons. I'm selling this to my wife. Shh. No. <laughs> if we spend within the right priorities. So we have to do some personal evaluation. Am I spending wisely? Am I, am I spending to, to meet my family's needs? Am I spending to meet the needs of others? Am I being generous with what I've been given? Am I spending to create community? Or am I spending because of all of my wants? Am I spending because I'm trying to keep up with somebody else? Am I spending because I'm measuring my life by what I own? Am I spending more than I have to spend? Am I racking up just massive amounts of debt because of more things that I want? Am I spending in a way that doesn't allow me to be generous at all? If so, then your spending is ungodly. We have to remember that our lives are not measured by how much we own. And remembering that, we need to learn to spend money in a way that will grow our relationship with God. Back to our original question. How should we think about money? We should think about it like this. We should think about the fact that our life is not measured by how much we own, but by our relationship with God. And I know that the temptation is to walk out of a message like this and to think that, you know, this is, uh, I just need to feel bad about money. You know, money is a bad thing. Beware everything bad that money can bring. It's true. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's true. But I don't, really just want us to to go there, to jump there. I want us to look and say, look at how my relationship with God can grow. And all it has to do is with my money. Look at how my relationship with God can get better. Look at how I can point to God in my life just by what I do with my money. 
Look at how God is trying to protect me from making bad decisions, from being foolish in, in the things that I prioritize so that one day whenever I meet him and it's time for eternity, you look at all of the ways that money pointed to how much I loved him. Look at all that we as the body of Christ can do if we honor God with our money. Don't be like the rich fool. Don't be so focused on building bigger barns, keeping more for ourselves. Money's all about us. Because there's no promise you're ever gonna get to enjoy it. And even if you do, for how long? A limited amount of time in this life and then it's gone and then we're into forever where only one relationship is gonna matter. We're gonna move into a time of response. And if, if money has a hold of your heart, if money has been taking a place in your life that only Jesus should be put, taking, now would be a good time to respond. Now would be a good time to say, I've been building bigger barns. I haven't been honoring God or my family or his priorities with the way that I've been handling money, but I want to. I want to learn more about this Jesus who died because he loved me so much. He wanted to spend eternity with me. I need help seeing that all of this stuff isn't gonna matter. If that's you this morning, we're gonna have some people who are standing down by the curtain who would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to give your heart over to him, because it's about our hearts. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna worship God. Great God and Savior, Lord, we so often mess up things that, Lord, you even meant for our good. Lord, we so often get our eyes clouded on the things of, of this world that we forget that you love us so much. You want to spend forever with us and forever is all that's gonna matter after the short amount of time that we have here, God. God, I pray that you just get a hold of our hearts this morning, Lord, not out of guilt, Lord, but out of a desire to follow you and out of a desire to take everything that we are, even our money, and to show that we are sold out for you. We are all in for you. We are all yours, Jesus. You died for us. You died for us to save us. And we thank you and we love you. And it is in your mighty name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.